Hello, and welcome to the Breaking the Guard podcast with me and Robert Drysdale as your hosts. On today's episode, we catch up a little bit with Robert as he is about to open up a new location here in Vegas, which is going to be uh, MMA gym and team, along with being a fitness center and jiu-jitsu academy. So very exciting news for, for Robert, and we'll learn a little bit of why he felt he needed to make this in the marketplace and um, and more so about how we're, he's trying to keep athletes all in-house rather than having them go to four or five different places to get their training. Uh, and uh, Something I think is very novel, but we, we go into that. And then we talk about the UFC Ultimate Fight Night 167, particularly with Diego Sanchez against Michelle Pereira, how the outcome of that fight a lot of people found controversial. Some people were upset. Uh, I won't spoil it here. <laughs> you can hear the spoiler, and I'm sure you've seen it. You know what I'm talking about. So we'll go into that uh, about the concept of warrior spirit, and also about weighing what makes the best business sense and whatnot. And uh, from there, we go into different stuff about judging and just the management of the sport. Particularly, that UFC had a lot of weird judging calls, and there was actually. One case that I found that was a conflict of interest where one of the fighters' coach was the instructor of the judge. So it seemed really off to put that together, and I proposed a, a way of remedying that. And uh, uh, we finished off at the end going towards exploration. Uh, just like uh, the type of high you get when you do something that's unplanned and unchartered that nobody has done before, or at least that nobody you've known has done before. And why I think, or we think rather, it's important that uh, you have some exploration in your life. It's something primal that we have to tap into. But we go into that and a whole bunch more. So I'll let you go ahead and enjoy. Before we get started, we'd like to thank one of our sponsors, which is the Kimura Trap System. If you know who I am, David Havilland, <laughs> I hope you do by this time, then uh, you probably know that my name is synonymous with the Kimura Trap. Uh, I was actually the person who developed the term, oh, excuse me, developed the term back in 2009. It's actually earlier than that, it was 2007. Uh, and the course that came afterwards, which was the Kimura Trap system, which was in 2012, it is taking the world by storm. And uh, it's been very, I've been very blessed to be a part of that and help bringing that move into awareness. Now we see it all over the place in MMA and BJJ. And it's even clips of wrestlers doing it as well to counter takedown. If you don't know what the Kimura trap system is, think of the Kimura as a shoulder lock. But the concept of the Kimura trap is to use what is normally known as a shoulder lock as a grip. Since you have a two-on-one grip, it makes it really difficult for your opponent to escape it, to break it, and that allows you to manipulate them in many different ways, from throws, uh, takedowns, sweeps, uh, transitioning to other submissions or transitioning to other positions, like in guard passing, back takes. There, there's really no limit to what you can do with it. And as time goes on, I see people coming up with new things on social media using the Kimura Trap concept. So it is a really amazing thing. This course that I have, the Kimura Trap System, was the original. And it is six DVDs of four and a half hours. And then I have added content online 
now I think it's over seven hours of additional content. So it's like 11 plus hours of video instruction plus a 110 page ebook and the mind map with updates for life for free. So honestly, it's the best course out there. I'm biased, but I believe it. And I've had the reviews to back it up. So why don't you go ahead, check it out. You can go to immoratrap.com. You can join the newsletter and get a bunch of free videos. You could also get an intro package, uh, which is like the first hour or so of the course for just $7 and both DVD and online. Or you can get the full thing. You might as well. It's $50 off right now. So you can pick it up for $147. Just go ahead and visit immoratrap.com to learn more. Hey guys, what's going on? David Avalon here with Robert Drysdale for another episode of Breaking the Guard. What's going on, Rob? Lots, man. Work as always. Uh, less tra- training, but like not, not crazy, you know. Um, my knees, man, for every time I, I move around. Just like, it's, I got to get a really good warm-up before I go. You know? Yeah. But um, lots of stuff, man. We're opening a new gym in Henderson. Nice. Signed the lease today. It's going to be... You know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu facility, but also strength and conditioning and MMA. I'm restarting my MMA program. Uh, Start a management company with that as well. So it's everything in-house, right? We have your striking, your strength and conditioning, your wrestling, your Jiu-Jitsu, and your management all under one roof. Excellent. You know, that's such a strong thing to have because I don't like the mentality where people are going to like four or five different places to train because one, that's a lot of commuting. Yeah. For me, as a fighter, I find that annoying. Yeah. Uh, and two is you're getting different influences and people pulling you in different directions. Like, one, if you go to the guy who's just a striking coach, he's going to tell you, strike all the time. And then you go to the grappler coach, oh, you should be grappling more than anything. So, like, you have competing influences. Yeah. You know, versus somebody who's the MMA coach who understands how all these different things gel, yeah. what your game is, and how to make it work. You know, I, I, it's ex- I exactly like make your, your words my own. And, you know, my, my vision for this, Dave, actually came from my frustrations as an MMA fighter. Because being in Vegas, I did exactly that. I went to three, four different gyms for, for, for my camps. And I realized that A, I didn't have a head coach. I was putting my own camps together, which is crazy when yeah. you think about it. B, my coaches didn't even talk to each other until the day of the fight. Sometimes they didn't even know each other. So there's no <laughs> communication going on. They're all like, overtraining me and like they think that I'm out of shape because I'm gassed out so what do they do push me harder there's zero communication I don't want to be I don't want to be the little bitch that goes I'm tired so what do you do push through right yeah. and then like you're and there's so many problems with this mentality the other thing is it's just this me 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 mentality doesn't work it doesn't work like you look, you look at the camps that are run like that and it's like guys will fight on Saturday and they took two months off three months off well what about the people that help you train they don't need help so my mentality is we're a team. Like an MMA, this is our new model. Our MMA is, or BJJ for that matter, is a team sport. Yes. I need you. You need me. Like we're, we're a team, man. Like we're like a family. If I fight on Saturday, I take Sunday off. And unless I'm injured, you're back in the gym on Monday. And if not to spar, to train hard, at least to support your teammates. You know what I'm saying? Like sure. I, I want to create that kind of culture. Collegiate wrestling is like that. Professional teams are like that. BJJ is like that. MMA, for some reason, has gotten this whole new direction where people just go, I'm going to go wherever I want, whenever I want. I'm going to be, I'm going to run my own camp. I don't have to listen to the coach. 
And like all these problems that are created from that, like the fighter doesn't always realize he's harming his own career, right? Because it turns into a bidding war too. I want a coach that's going to hold pads for less money. So they don't always end up with the best coaches. They end up with the guy who's a yes man and it's cheap. Yeah. Which is insane when you think about it. Like you're talking totally. like millions of dollars here, UFC championship, and you're going to save money on the guys going to hold paths for you, right? So that's kind of my vision. Let's see if it works. Yeah, no, I think um, I've had this happen with me with one of my fighters that they, a lot of mm-hmm. people, especially early on, they were looking at boxing as like the model. Like, I want to be a Mayweather where the camp is solely around me, right? But I, boxing is very different than. MMA. I mean, one, you could conceivably train a boxer by himself. Pat work, heavy bags, and every so often you bring someone into spar. But you don't really need a team for that. You know what I'm saying? Because as a, I mean, you could do most of your boxing work yeah. solo or with a with the coach. Yeah. You only need a guy for sparring rounds. Yeah. And generally with boxing, they they fly people in or they they pay people. Yeah. You know, oh, you're gonna be the sparring partner for so and so. But they're not necessarily part of the team. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that model is very different than a sport like wrestling, jiu-jitsu, or MMA, yeah. where you do need people to partner up with because you need people to drill takedowns or drill submissions and to practice all this stuff. You, don't, you can't do that on your own, yeah. not effectively. You know, so I think that model is very different. And there's just so much more to learn in MMA you know, in, in boxing, a lot of it is just fine Because you can have one coach in boxing. Yeah. And yeah. maybe you can't. Maybe two, like strength conditioning and boxing. Like, you know. Yeah. And so. a lot of the old school boxers didn't even do strength conditioning. They just boxed. They just boxed. Yeah. 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 You know, like they would tell you lifting weights would make you tight. There's flow. There's some truth to that, too. There's yeah. some truth to that, yeah. Um, so MMA is just very, I, I feel like, well, we've said this before, this is the most complicated sport because there's so many variables yeah. and so many ways to win. But uh, anyhow, with MMA and coaching, I come to mind Diego Sanchez. It was Ultimate Fight Night 167 in the UFC. And uh, he had a very interesting fight outcome where, it's a spoiler alert, he was fighting Mitchell Pereira. Mitchell was pretty much handing it to him, you know, the whole fight. Third round, gets him in a clinch, tight clinch, knees the hell out of him. And one of the knees strikes him to the body dropped Diego, and then Mitchell threw a follow-up knee that landed right on Diego's head. Diego dropped it a little bit. The ref immediately jumped in, stopped it, called it as an illegal blow. And Diego popped up. You could see a cut had formed. And uh, they started checking him out. And after a few minutes, they called off the fight. And since it was an illegal blow, DQ went for Diego. Now, a lot of fans got really upset at that because they felt like, oh, this was a really cheap way out to to win the fight you know what i mean because yeah. he i mean nobody can really know for certain how diego was feeling right because it's a head injury you you don't know if he was still in there or not i i think i could be wrong i think what they had said was he was having problems seeing and whenever you give a vision problem to the doctor they're not gonna they're, 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 you're, that's the easy way out of a fight if you want to get out of a fight and you say i can't see they're going to stop it immediately so uh, whether that was true or not, who knows? Only Diego could really yeah. respond to that. But there is people saying, oh, he's a pussy. He doesn't have warrior spirit, this and that. And other people say, hey, he's smart. It was a business decision. He just doubled his it, money. You know there, what I mean? There's a conflict of interest between the crowd and the fighter or the promoters of the fighter. Because, you know, sometimes a fighter really only gives a shit about the show and then not care about the money and the victory. 
I think those are the minority. Like, there's like 1% of cases of, like, of fights, right? Because that might change throughout your career, too. Maybe in the beginning, you're more looking at just, I just want to put on a show for the fans. Yeah. Right? Not really looking at how much money you're going to be making. I think later in your career, like, maybe where Diego is now, he's going, oh, I got a family to feed, you know? So, you know, him, a victory makes a big difference. It's not the same. You're like, we're not talking about a $1,000 difference here, yeah. right? So, whereas the fans just want to see a show, Diego might be looking at his own best interest, which is rational. It's not irrational. He looks to do what's best for himself. Um, I, you know, as a fighter, I understand where if, if indeed that is the case, he could have yeah. continued. You know, I'm assuming that he could have. I don't know. Uh, I don't think he did the wrong thing. <laughs> I probably would have done the same thing. I don't know. Like, it's hard to say. It's easy to judge. It's easy to judge. And I understand why the fans would be upset. because They want to see a bloodbath no matter what. Yeah. Where Diego's got his own interest. Like, he's fought a ton. Diego's got nothing to prove. He's put on how many shows? How many times has he put on a spectacle to the audience? Yeah. That guy's a warrior, man. He's a trooper. You know, like, hi, so many times that guy was out there and he was putting it down, right? Doing his best. And now at the end of his career, he's still got to be doing that with a split eye. Like, I don't blame the guy at all. I, and I think in his shoes, I would have done the exact same thing. Maybe Diego of 15 years ago would have done something different, right? But I think the fans got to be understanding of, you know, what's on the line for someone like him. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Uh, I see it all because there's three things that could be said. One, he didn't show warrior spirit, you know, by taking the easy way out. Uh, two, he did it because it was a good business decision. And three, maybe he just didn't want to get hurt anymore. Yeah. And that was a, a good way because yeah. he was probably going to get finished in that barrage. Yeah. I think they're all true. <laughs> they're not mutually exclusive, exactly. They, right, right. Like uh, from the financial angle, absolutely makes sense. I think someone like Diego, who's been with the UFC for man like over fifteen years, probably. I think, right? He's been Ultimate Fighter, first one. So the first one. He's been talking there. fifteen years. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, his win purse is probably at least forty, fifty thousand, at least. You know, so it's a big difference. It's a big difference for you know. I mean, yeah. depending on his economic situation, but that's that's serious money. And then, um, two, he was getting hurt and. Like you said, Diego has been in a ton of wars before. Famously, you know, he's got that Mexican chin, I guess, right? <laughs> because he, he's taking a lot of punishment. He was hanging in there. Yeah, on the warrior side of things, I, I, that's where I have a problem with it, right? Because you have your spirit. Yeah, you're, I see what you're saying. Because yeah. I'm the same. Like, man, you die in there before you quit. Correct. That's the mindset. I, I, I always you know? I classify. There's three classifications for people in athletics. I feel there's the sportsman. Who is someone just does it for fun, and the moment they get tired, they're done, right? You have the athlete who is someone who does it professionally, and even uh, when they get tired, they push past it. But if they're getting injured, they pull out. Mm -hmm. And then you have the warrior who does it for a life, and you have to kill him before the fight's over. Yeah, right. So there's there's meaning. It's it goes well beyond. Just um, I'm getting a workout or I'm getting paid. It's like his spirit is invested in what he's doing. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So I, I see there are a lot of athletes in this sport today, a lot of athletes, and there's a few warriors. Uh, I On previous performances from Diego, I would definitely say he was a warrior, right? He was just someone who just let it hang out and go, this one, it would jump into the athlete rank, right? So, so because the, yeah. again, I'm assuming he could continue, right? Yeah. Just for. Uh, the argument sake. If he could have continued, then he he did kind of take the easier way out. But then again, there is a conflict. Like that was probably the only path that Diego could have won the fight. 
So in the, in the end result, what's the, the goal of a fight? Is to win. So maybe this was the, the shot that you had to hang out long enough in the fight to get this type of thing to happen so here's that you could win. Here's the thing. For, you know, there's, there's a season for everything, man. I think, you know, the, I think life is about an evolution of, of thought and priorities. And I don't think the way I did now, the way I did when I was 20. Sure. I think that being as competitive as I was on the mats was fundamental for my own career, right? So the Diego today, he is, in my view, he is completely excused for having a different view on things in life. He might be looking for his health. Like, you know what? I don't want to be blind. I got like another maybe two more years fighting maybe, right? And I don't want to be blind for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, like these things, when you're young, you're reckless. Think about the stupid shit you did when you're 18. You know, with um, you know, with with maturity, you know, when you become more aware of yourself, come you become, le- you lose some courage. I think you know, it, it you're definitely more it. brave when you're younger because you you can be reckless and you have that spirit, that ambition, and I think age makes you less of that, right? Uh, in my view, Diego is perfectly excused. I I think that let's say he could have continued when he was in his twenties. He probably would have died out there, but now with kids. Alive, bills to pay. He's looking at like he wants to retire with the windmill. I don't know, man. Like you're looking at all these other things, and I I think he's excused. And if if that is the case, but I understand where the crowd's coming from. Yeah, you know that's another thing that we didn't touch on either, is that it's never fair to the foul fighters, right? Like if I kick you full blast of the nuts, and then oh you got five minutes to recover, I don't care if you got ten minutes. You're not going to be the same guy before. It kicked you in the nuts. Yeah. It takes a little bit out of you. Yeah. You know, like, I've had this <laughs> firsthand where I actually was sparring. This guy was a kickboxer. And I was just starting off in MMA. And he was beating me up. Just tagging me all over the place. And I was trying to throw an inside leg kick. Caught him right in the nuts. Yeah. Boom. Accident. And I was like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. So sorry. He's like, oh, okay. And then he manned up and kept sparring. After that happened, I was destroying him. I was just running circles around him. Yeah. Like, man, what a difference this foul <laughs> made because like I, he was just tagging me everywhere and now all of a sudden I'm running circles around this guy. Yeah. He lost his mobility, you know, because it was a good, unfortunately it was a really bad nut shot. I think there's a it. fear factor. You, you actually have, I think there's more, there might be psychological to some extent. Like the guy is like terrified of, he, that's still bothering him like psychologically throws him off a little bit. Yeah, but with all fouls it's similar. Like if you get eye gouged, it's not going to be the same as you were before. Yeah. Like first of all, the eye gouge is extremely painful. And you get away with it once, which is crazy when you yeah. think about it. You get away with poking for the eye once you can do it. It's like when people hold on to the fence. I've always hated that rule. He doesn't know he can't hold on to the fence. Yeah. They get away with it once, right? One, the first time, it's like a slap on the hand. They don't think sometimes they, they can get away with it more. I mean, I think to me, it's like yeah. the first, you know the rules. You're yeah. not stupid. Why can you get away with it once? Yeah, you right? should They know that. they can't, but yeah. they always get away with it. You're right, at least once, sometimes the whole fight. Yeah, I mean, if you look at John Jones, he's notorious for poking people. Yeah, for poking because he always has his hands out like this. You know, it's not like he's not tall enough too. Like what the, you know, he's like the tallest person in the division. You know, he's like poking people in the eye going to make himself. And his arms are super long yeah, too, right? Yeah. He so he's need making to find himself range. Yeah, you know, you know how much an advantage that is naturally without sticking your fingers out there. Yeah, you know, but I, I think he got he was gotten, getting away with it for so long that you know I'll keep doing it until someone tells me to stop. Um, yeah. So, I mean, in, in that regard, coming back into the fight after a foul is never really fair, but it's always expected, right? And, like, when you do see the rare times where a fighter does 
quit from a foul. Yeah. Everybody blames that guy. Yeah. Even though they're like, hey, I'm the one they got wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think there was one time where in the UFC, a guy got blasted and nuts, like super hard, and he couldn't continue. Yeah. And they were like, oh, you know, he's a coward. Like, man, if you've never been hit that hard before, I have. Because I've been on both sides of this. Yes. And man, I couldn't stand up. I could yeah. not stand up for like 10 minutes. I was, I was trying to, and I couldn't. You know, because when you get hit hard there, you're, I don't know what happens with the nerve ending or whatnot, but it just shuts you down. Yeah. So, like, it's a legitimate thing, you know. So, the only thing you have to question is whether he actually did receive it or is he, is he playing, you know, like he's doing the soccer thing where yeah. he's like, oh, yeah, I'm hurt, yeah, just yeah, so yeah, I can yeah. get the easy way out. Why is it always soccer players that do <laughs> God, I don't Isn't know. it? It's like always the it's soccer players. It's to me. Like, I've yeah. seen, like, they do clips where the guy will go like this yeah, and the guy will just drop. And, like, I'm like, are you kidding me? Amazing acting. It's incredible. Yeah, but uh, well, you know what it is too. Like it's a back cup too with a nut shot. Like I think a metal metal cup fighters, professional fighters, get a metal cup. Like the tight ones, like those will protect you, right? The plastic ones bend, man. Like I don't want anyone trust that plastic. I I don't. I never did. I always I always fought with a metal cup. Yeah, I mean, I think there's also the sizing and placing. Well, it. that's the thing they because get, sometimes the cup could actually clip into you, and then it's yeah. just the same thing as getting it's hit. The pressure yeah. of the cup on you, but you got to get like I had. Like the biggest cup possible, not because my junk is huge now. Like it's it's <laughs> humble you know, brag here. Yeah, you know, but like I wanted the space because exactly that it gets pushed into your shit. Like I don't know, man. I want the room in there, man. Yeah. So it was like a big cup, but it's like, hey, I'm I'm protected, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I never understood fighters who like didn't use cups because it's also a good leverage point. Like your oh, arm, bar. arm bars and triangles, it's gold. It's it's illegal in IBJJF. Yeah. If you know that, you can't yeah. wear a cup, even a plastic one. Yeah, you're not allowed to because of that's a huge advantage. It's, man, and if you ever had someone take your back body triangle with the cup, is a nightmare on your lower back. You know, so yeah. I would always use it if I could. Um, let me ask you this, and I, I just remember this: like we're talking about, like you know, uh, the penalty when you do something illegal, right? The yeah. guy got the cue because he need Diego on yeah. the ground. Fair enough. This happened in a fight a few years ago. I was cornering someone, and her opponent threw a kick at her. And it scraped the top of her head, like the hair. It touched the hair, right? And she did the soccer thing. She acted like she was, you know, because, the, you know, the, the, you have to have the right angle to see. Depending on where you were standing, it looked like she got kicked on the ground. Yeah. And then once the, 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 the replay came out, you could, you could see that she was pretending she was never hit. And nothing happened. I'm of the opinion that you should still take a point, even though she was never hit. I'll tell you why. She tried. She just missed the kick. Just because she missed the kick, does, I don't know what you think. Maybe maybe I'm out there, but like I, I'm just thinking. Because at the time I'm thinking, well, if you try to rob a bank and you fail, do you not go to prison? Yeah, it is a good. Like point. you know what I'm saying. Like if I try to if I try to kill you and I fail, am I innocent? Well, you didn't kill him, so you're okay. Like if I try to do something illegal, well then you're you're still you still got to be penalized. Maybe not a DQ in this case, but a minus one, take a point away. I don't know. I think that maybe a penalty for the other one for faint for faking it too. I yeah. I think of this shit like in soccer when they pull that shit off. I think that if the replay comes and you're pretending, right? It's difficult to judge because sometimes like some of it is obvious, yeah. right? But other situations there might be some gray area. I can see why it would be a difficult rule to implement. But I I'm of the opinion you should penalize a person who's pretending as well because you're sure. trying to play tricks on the ref. You're trying to make the sport difficult to judge. That's what you're doing. So you're getting in the way of sportsmanship, right? If you're doing that, I understand a penalty. It makes perfect sense. Um, in the MMA case, uh, I know it sounds crazy. She was never hit. Why should she get penalized? I think both of them should have to receive like a minus one. Yeah, I mean, I guess the intent, would, you would have to be able to 
judge intent, whether it was an accident. Because, you know, sometimes when people are striking, guy gets dropped and you're like, mid, oh, wait, but I can't. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then So much gray area. Yeah, you know? it's a lot of gray area versus somebody who, like, saw the guy and then maliciously. Like, I've seen this in sparring. I saw a guy soccer kick somebody. Like, he, he sprawled the guy out and then soccer kicked him and knocked him out. Yeah. I was like, what the hell, man? Because I'm sorry, I just got into it. I got into what? You think this is a street fight now? Like, yeah, I, I can see that. It's like Rosimar Pagliotti's. Like, yeah. He can't stop himself from blowing people's knees, man. Yeah, so like that type of thing is obviously it was a foul. But sometimes, like like this one, I could, like with the Diego and Mitchell, I could see it like accidental, you know, because he threw like four or five knees in a row and then dropped and he threw another knee. And like, ah, uh, you know, I, it's hard to blame him, you know, because you're, you're firing and then it just happened, right? But if it was a case where the guy was down for a while and then you fired it, yeah. And then if he missed, but like he threw it anyways, then you could say, man, why were you trying to do that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I think the faking definitely, I think if anything, the faking can be worse sometimes, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like a fake rape allegation. Yeah, because, because like, he, you have to yeah. send them, the, the point of punishment is not, you can't go back in time. What's the point of punishment? Yeah. You have to think of punishment. What is the point of you doing something? You know, if I murder someone, I go to prison. You can't, me going to prison does not bring anyone back to life. It might make the family feel a little bit better, but it's not going to ease the pain so much. It might feel, okay, I got the revenge at least. He's going to, like, rot in prison now, for example. But I think the real point of punishment is sending a message to other people. Don't do that. That's what, this is what's going to happen when you do so many break the rules, right? And I think that really is the message. So, you know, when someone does something illegal in a fight, and they receive like like John Jones got you know got away with poking people in the eye for so long. It's messages to everyone else. Oh shit! Oh, I can do that. Okay. Oh, I can do it once every fight. Yeah. Right. I hold the fence. Okay. You, okay. So this guy can't really can't take you down. Don't let him take you down. You can hold on to the fence, but only once. Okay. That's the message you're sending unless you penalize people right away. Yeah. Right. And I think that's so. I think that the UFC should be harsh on these things. It doesn't happen very often. People get away with a lot, in my opinion. Yeah, they do. Like people complain about jujitsu and penalties. I'm like, oh shit, watch the UFC. <laughs> like, like jujitsu, yeah. there's penalties like left, right, and center, man. Yeah. Like I'll, one I'll tell per you, match with the cage grabbing. I've trained in the cage, man. My gym, we pretty yeah. much had it from day one. I've never grabbed that thing. I, Same I, thing with me. It never even occurred to me. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. Like I push off of it. Yeah, you know. I've never grabbed it. Like, it doesn't come to me. I, I don't know why. Like, you see people grab it all the time. To me, it's like, because you know it's going to help you. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, it's like... It's not good technique. Let's it, put it that way. There's a way to stop a takedown. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole intent behind it originally was that you could hurt yourself, right? Because if you're grabbing and you get yanked one way, you could break a finger or a toe yeah. or whatnot. But, um, so, I mean, that's pretty much why I wouldn't want to do it. But it's also kind of lame in the fight world, you know? Yeah, <laughs> holding on. I know, and no, I, I, it's, I mean, it's, or, or you legalize, and like, okay, it's okay to hold the fence. It's like one of those things, you know. Yeah. You either accept it, yeah. you know, or you say it's absolutely you can't do it, and you don't get away with it once. That happened in one of my fights. It drove me crazy. Like, why does he get away with it once? Yeah. Me, like, he knows he can't do it. It's not like MMA rules are super complicated. This mm -hmm. is the other one. Right before a fight, what do the judges do every single time? They walk you through the rules, right? To me, it's almost like, oh, yeah, yeah, a yeah. pro. It's like, imagine a football game. And before every game, the referee has to walk in your locker room with the whole team. All right, guys, so the goal here is to get a touchdown, all right? 
They're professionals, man. They've been doing this their whole life. If they don't know the rules, they shouldn't be fighting. Yeah, I like, understand like an amateur circuit. An amateur circuit, but a professional. Or like low-level pro, Dude, but you're in the, the UFC. UFC yeah. championship round. Man. I, I've been there, and I'm thinking to myself, this is a championship fight. You don't think the guy knows, knows the rule? Like he's, of course he knows. And if he doesn't, there's something wrong with his camp, yes, right? Like absolutely. they should know it inside out. But to me, holding the fence is absolutely unacceptable, man. Like, And they know it, and they get away with it. So... It is commissions to me like I think I mean I, I say this a lot I think they're I don't think they think this stuff through like this is the problem with having commissioners that don't have experience fighting like they don't put thought into anything you know amateur fights are in Vegas leg locks are illegal yeah did I tell you that like you can shin someone in the eye fine but leg locks are dangerous I'm like where do you guys get these things from like I don't know like who's coming up with these rules I remember one time, like, oh, tape was bad because tape could cut your opponent's eye. What? <laughs> that was literally what the commissioner, t- I asked him, why can't I, ha-? I was taping my ankle, right? I had a bad ankle. Yeah. And I, oh, because the tape can cut someone's eye. And I'm like, what? How? Like, I, I'm trying to make sense of what the point is. And I don't, like, I, I don't think they think, they're talking about safety and fairness, but they don't always think things through. It is very limited amount of thought that goes into these things and because they don't know they don't have a background in fighting it's even worse i yeah. think if you bunch a bunch of fighters to sit there and come up with rules and this is true for ibjf it's true for commissions for the ufc everything that would be the best route you come up with the best rules if you had those people making the decision right versus bringing a bunch of attorneys and letting them figure things out yeah. For some reason, people think that attorneys are qualified to do everything. You ever notice that? Like, they're good for, like, no, there's some things that are really, some things that are not qualified to talk about. But people always think that, like, you know, if there's a position there that no one knows exactly who should be doing that position, I'll get an attorney to do it. Like, I've seen that so many times. The commission is always like that. If you see, like, the board of, of it's, it's all attorneys, which to me is fucking weird, but. Yeah, I mean, boxing commissions, and, I mean, the, well, I guess the athletic commission for MMA or whatever they're called now. It used to be boxing commissions, but I think yeah. now they make their own separate MMA ones. But uh, I always question, well, like in this past UFC, they had a bunch of judging snafus. I guess this was in Texas. And one of the fights was uh, Trevin Giles uh, versus James Krause. And the judge was a black belt of the coach of Trevin Giles. The judge was a black Okay, got it. So, the conflict of interest. Yeah. Now. And apparently, one of the rounds that all the other judges scored for Kraus, yeah. this guy scored for uh, Giles. Yeah. And he also was the one that had weird scoring in the John Jones fight, where he had John Jones winning yeah. all four rounds. And when, when most people saw three the, two. The last fight. Yeah, the yeah. last fight where he fought that. So, it's like a questionable call. Like, but. First of all, this guy, sh- I know when you would file a paperwork, you would have to file any um, conflicts of interest. Like if you knew any of the fighters or any of the judges or you had a personal relationship with them because you would have to disclose that. So this guy clearly didn't do that because it doesn't make sense. If you, the coach of the guy that you're going to be judging was your, was your own coach and gave you your black belt, that's a major conflict of interest. Right? You're, you, can, you can argue, oh, you're going to side with him now. Because he's your guy. Yeah, yeah. It, it is a problem to bring former coaches and fighters because I see what you're saying. Like, you get a guy. I mean, that happens. I Jeff, that happens all the time. You get a guy. And, and But, like, is there a solution to that problem? 
Because I think that the idea behind the commission not bringing any fighters in is exactly that. There's no conflict of interest. My whole take on it is like, okay, you got to have someone that at least has martial arts experience, at the very least. Yeah, I mean, there's enough you, people out there now. I mean, like, well, we only brought three judges here. Uh, they bring, I, I'm assuming, I, I think they have more than three judges, or maybe they don't. I don't know. Because actually, I've judged an event, and it was only, it was, I was one of three judges. You know, they didn't have backup judges, if you will. Yeah. I would think yeah, you can rotate them. Yeah, I would think you would just rotate them. Have like like yeah, they rotate referees. They can rotate yeah. judges. You know, and it's not like you know they. Can't, as a judge, right? you would welcome it because judging is kind of stressful because it, you, you it wears before, on you. It wears on you a bit. Yeah. First of all, on, on a long night, you're watching like 15 fights. It's hard to stay sharp the whole. Yeah, just be you're there for hours, and sometimes it's a really fights, good idea, man. You're you're getting worn out. Like I've I've run nagas and I've yeah. refed and stuff. It's man, if you've seen that ref. And he's there the whole day, bro. You should shake his hand. That guy's a hero, man. He's because a hero. It's super hard. <laughs> it's super hard. They don't judge judges, referees. They don't get credit for it. But you're a, right. good, yeah. a good ref, mind you, because especially when you're doing grappling events. When I was uh, refing, I don't want anybody getting hurt. Yeah. I also had a financial interest because I was running the event. Yeah. So I'm not like a hero so much, but I didn't want anybody getting hurt. Right, so like every match is when a submission happened. I'm like Spidey sense. Boom, I'm like trying to get on there, make sure that you know they're, they're safe, and you don't want to stop it early because then people get pissed. Yeah. So it's like a very delicate balance, you know. I uh, um I've refed before, and I it was a horrible experience because you don't get paid that well. No. But as long as it's exhausting to be standing there the yes. whole time. Now they have like little breaks, right? Which is smart. Like IBJJF feeds them. Like they get an hour yeah. on, an hour off. Yeah. So you can go to the ref room. They have food there. Drink coffee, some sweets. You know, sugar actually makes you sharp, yep. right? Coffee does too. Uh, but it's it's exhausting, man. And I remember like refing matches, and I got ADD as is. Imagine like six, seven hours of refing nonstop. What is going to happen? Yeah, you're thinking thanks. about your mind's gone, man. Yeah. You're thinking about like you know you see something like oh yeah that, that person over there. So remembering. And they say, oh shit, there's a burning bolo going on here. You're lost now because, like, especially in the lightweight division, you can you you can't blink. Yeah. And you don't know what's if you blink, man, you lost them. They're so fast. There's so much going on, right? The little guys, heavier weights, a little bit easier the ref. Although that's kind of changing. Sometimes the heavier weights are more exciting to watch these days. Um, but um, you know, it's it's super hard, man. Like I always tell people this: go easy on refs, man. It's easy to get angry at them. You know, you think yeah, everyone's getting oh they're all to screw me. I think that that happens like in 0.001% of cases where they intentionally screw you. Yeah. I think it honest mistakes happen a lot. They just got distracted. That happens a lot. I don't think it's any like, oh, it's, you know, because of this country or this gym or my friend. I think most referees, like almost all of them are, are honest people, man. They don't have any intentions of screwing anyone. It's just that if they're doing it for too long, or if they're not properly trained, which is another big one, especially IPJF rules, they're very complex. Yeah. They're not, I do, I, I've lost count of how many referee courses I've done. I'm one of the most knowledgeable people in that regard. You know, I sometimes I'm confused too. I'm like, I'm not sure what I would have done there. You know, there's a lot of gray area and, you, you know, the rules change a lot too. Um, like, I, I think you, you got you to gotta put things in perspective and go, go easy on the judges, on the refs. It's not an easy sport. I think your idea for MMA, rotating them every fight is brilliant. That's a fucking great idea, Dave. Like, I hope yeah. that someone from the commission is watching <laughs> this now. And because that's a great suggestion. Like they should yeah. be rotating every couple of fights. Uh, if they're I mean, they might 
as they might be doing that right now. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they could be doing that. They might be doing that, but if they're not, they should be. Because yeah. I've been on both sides of it. Yeah, it's fatiguing. Especially there, because if you're watching MMA fights, man, like, most people don't even start showing up until, like, two cards in, two fights into the main event. Oh. Right? Because they don't want to stand and watch 12 fights. Oh. You know, so I can only imagine the judge who ha- they have to watch every single fight. And not just watch casually, they have to be paying attention, you know? Um, when I when I commentate, um, and I've done like up to seven hours, and I, was, I think I did eight hours one time, nonstop, right? Um, man, I'm I it fucks me up. I can't sleep that night because I drink so much coffee throughout the stream. I'm serious. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. like it's a coffee after coffee. I, I have to. And it's the only way out of it. And I was trying to eat something sweet to stay sharp because it's similar in a lot of ways, commentating sure. and, and yeah. refereeing because you have to be focused. It's easy when you're watching UFC at home, and even no matter how interested you are in the fight. You get distracted, you can go to the bathroom, you can bullshit with your friend, you can check your phone, right? There's a number of different things happening that give your mind a little break, right? When you're commenting, when you're refereeing, you don't get those breaks. You have to be focused all the time. So, um, yeah, and there's like studies on this, man. Like judges, like court judges, at the end of the day, they're more likely to make mistakes. Oh, if they've been doing it for a long time, towards the end, they're far more likely to make mistakes because they're exhausted. Yeah, for right? sure. You know, they- People don't realize, but being exhausted not only impairs you physically, but if anything, more so mentally. Teaching class? Yeah. Everyone thinks it's easy to teach class. Oh, you only teach four classes a day. I'm like, you have any idea how hard it is to teach four classes a day mentally? Yeah. Physically, it's not hard. Mentally? Because you're you're focused. When you're teaching class, you are immersed in the class. You're not. You can't get distracted. There's always someone doing something wrong. You've got to be correcting them all the time. It's not as easy as it sounds. Yeah, and I guess the caveat to everything we've been talking about here is someone doing a good job, mind you, right? Yeah. There are people like the old adage of the instructor sitting down, like on his phone, not paying attention. Obviously, that guy's not really doing a good job, not trying. I think someone had said that one of the judges was on their phone during the fight, <laughs> which is like, yo. Oh, fuck, man. You see, then that, there's no excuse for that, right? You're, you're being an asshole. You're not, you're not doing your job, right? <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's slow, there's no Even excuse. It's slow. It doesn't no matter. Excuse. You can't yeah. pull out your phone. You know, you have millions to be of dollars focused. on the line, and this yeah. guy's on his phone. I know. But I mean, if you're doing a good job, yeah, it's exhausting and teaching for sure. I remember uh, when my brother and I opened our gym. Me and him were the only instructors, and we were going to school for time, fifteen credits, and then we'd come teach three or four classes. Wow! And then there'd be that's a lot. It's, a, it, it's, it's exhausting, you know? Yeah. And there are people like... And managing oh, the gym. And managing the gym. Because that's a whole job in and itself. And then we were flying to compete. And so, I mean, you know the grind. It's the same thing, right? And um, I remember people like, oh, I love the college lifestyle. I'm like, man, the college lifestyle sucks. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a battle. It, it, it's it's yeah. fun if your parents are paying for everything and all you do is, okay, you're taking 15 credits, but that's all you do. That takes half your day studying, man. Just between school and everything, like you're left with like not that much time if you're doing everything right, you know. But yeah. it could be a lot. But yeah, it's still fun because at the end of the day, you can still go out and party, go crazy, you know, show up hungover to class and whatever. You can wing it, you know. But when you're running a gym, man, and teaching class and going to school, mm-hmm. I got lucky because I had tons of help. I don't know how hard you were. For me, I remember that period when I was doing those things. I had so much help. From my my ex, I had uh, uh, back in Brazil, right? Yeah. Um, like college only did like it was like Brazil doesn't go by credits; it goes by hours. It was yeah. like three hours a day. It's not that much. And then I was driving Sao Paulo to train, 
the crazy thing is when you're younger, like we're talking about that fury, right? When you're younger, yeah. you have that war. I think the warrior spirit is, it, it changes as you get older. Because I still have ambition, but it's a different kind of ambition. Not just finance, but in personal growth. That's my ambition today. But at that time, it didn't matter what the price was. It was just one of those things. You're willing to pay it. You, you, yeah. you don't even question it, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But there's not even a question of like, oh, this is costing me a lot. It doesn't occur to you. Yeah. You know? no, I was... And I forgot, I was living in Fort Lauderdale at the time. So my brother and I were driving, it was like 45 minutes each way. Yeah. You know, so we'd go to school, come back, go to the gym, come back. So we lived yeah. 45 minutes from school and from the gym. So we were doing a lot of driving around as well, but like it wasn't a, never made a big it deal. It doesn't, you know, but the things to like today, like tolls in Brazil are super expensive. I remember the shit now and I'm like, fuck, what was I thinking? They're really expensive. They're not cheap. And gas in Brazil is the equivalent of like seven, eight dollars a gallon here. If you do the math, it's super expensive. And I used to drive to Sao Paulo every day, the train, right? And 100% of what I made, Dave, one, I wasn't a lot, I didn't make yeah. that much, but 100% of what I made was between gas, tolls, and food, and tournaments. I had zero left. It was yeah. like one, now I live with my mom. So I was lucky and have to pay rent, right? But 100% of what I made went into my training. It never occurred to me that that was like, I was just like spending way too much money on jiu-jitsu. <laughs> it never, now I'm looking back and I'm like, fuck, if I had to spend 100% of what I make on the one thing, I'm like, I'll be, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if I do that today. I don't know. But when you're 16, 17, you have that. And that's a beautiful place to be, man, because nothing else matters. Yeah, when you have that burning desire, that passion, yeah. that you're willing to pour everything into something, regardless of, like you said, of the cost. Like, yeah. You know, like, I want this. It doesn't matter what I would have to give to get it. I'm willing to give it, you know? But yeah. as you said, as you, as you get older, you start learning things, and yeah. sometimes knowing things limits you, right? And uh, I, I was actually listening. Rashad Evans was talking about this. He was talking about how John Jones, when he started off fighting, that he was doing all sorts of crazy-ass stuff. Like, he fought Shogun and, and opened the fight for the title with a flying knee. I like 23, you know, and he does all this weird stuff. But now, like, it's, as you get older, it starts to limit you because you realize I can get hurt. Yeah. You know? And I got, I, I can't afford to be hurt, you know. And as you get older, recovery is longer, so the consequences are steeper. So you have to start protecting yourself a little bit more. So I think that's part of it. You know, when you're younger, you don't really know what you don't know. Yeah. So you're like, okay. You've never been hurt that bad. You've never, you've never been hurt that bad. <laughs> you've never been broke. Or whatever, so they oh, I can I can do all these things. You yeah, know, there's no yeah. there's no risk, and I think you need to have that in order to take those bold chances. Because if you knew all the risks and understood what the implications were, you probably wouldn't do anything. You're like, it's yeah. too it's too dangerous, it's too risky. I think it was a Shakespeare wrote that goes, consciousness makes cowards of us all. The more aware you become of yeah, life, sure. the more strategical you become, the more you think things ahead of time. The more, the more of a coward you become in some ways. Yeah. You lose that, that bravery. Um, you know, I, I go on trips now, I plan. Can you fucking believe that? <laughs> I plan shit now. First time I went to Europe, I had a ticket. I fucking went, man. I didn't know. Like, oh, I got two yeah. jiu-jitsu guys over there. I'm good. I got some money in my pocket. I got jiu-jitsu guys. And like, that was it. Like, now I'm like, I'm timing. I find myself, I got a schedule now. Can you believe that? Yeah. Like, oh, age does it. It makes you more aware, right? It makes you more... Uh, strategic in the sense of how you live your life, and that's just, that's that's it's responsibility. That's how things should be. It's a progression, but there's something about being reckless that makes your spirit more alive as well. Like some of my best memories were me winging it without a plan, sure. like backpacking through Mexico, no idea where I was going, 
barely spoke Spanish, no idea what I was doing, hitchhiking. Was it dangerous? Probably. Didn't care. You know, I, you do stuff like that, but those are my best memories, too. Like, some of my best memories in life were me, like, not really, you know. I'll give you an example. You get older, you go on vacation, you plan shit. Right, yeah. like it, it's, I do that now. Like my, it was, it was so much better when I didn't plan. I feel well, my, like my it was girlfriend more... hires a we call it those travel agents to yeah. plan it for you. So yeah. professional plan. Okay, <laughs> but 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 but, but you think it's, it's thing, you yeah. do more. You yeah. see more that way. It probably save money too. But at the same time, like there's something like you lose some of the adventure. I feel like when we do that because when I didn't plan at all, that's when I had those adventures. Like the first time I went to Japan, I got lost in Tokyo. By the way, like there's no one speaks English. There's yeah. no sign. Like it's we're in a fucking different world there, man. It's yeah. not, you know, you go to Europe, everyone speaks English. I feel like you you get by with you can kind of get by. The language is similar. Japan is not like I got lost, man. I had some incredible experience. I was getting lost, just like just lost in Japan. Got lost in a forest. Got lost in downtown. I almost had to sleep in the forest. Fucking scary. <laughs> in Japan? Oh, in uh, Kamakura, man. There's like where that giant bronze Buddha is, Daibutsu. And I was there backpacking, you know, just doing my thing, you know, walking around. Oh, cool, man. I saw like a, a I didn't understand how big it was, right? Yeah. So I go into it. And the signs are all Japanese. It's like maybe four or five in the afternoon. So I'm going to walk around. I see some temples. I'm taking pictures or whatever. Next thing you know, it starts getting dark. And it's cold. It's winter, right? And I'm thinking, oh, about time for me to get out of here. And that's where I realized, I have no fucking idea where I am. Like, I don't know how to go back. <laughs> and I don't read Japanese. I don't write. I know like four kanjis, like Jew, Jitsu. <laughs> Do from judo, and I happen to know a fourth kanji, which is exit, right? And I walk around. This is like it's nighttime now. I have no water. I have no food. Uh, it's getting cold, right? And I can't find my way out of this forest. I finally find a sign that for the exit kanji, and that's like I only know four kanji, yeah. legit. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then I found. I found. I was lost. I think two, three hours walking around, uh-huh. no idea. At the time, I was freaking out, but now it's like. It's a really cool story, man. Yeah, yeah, got out. You know, but a little stuff like that. Like, so, you know, um, your warrior spirit, there's a time for your warrior spirit. Um, I'm not sure I'm willing to get lost in a the forest these days. I like yeah. to know where I'm at and where I'm going to be tomorrow morning, you know. I think getting lost in a forest in Japan is probably better than being lost in the forest in Brazil, right? <laughs> I love oh, yeah, oh, no, 100%. Because it was more like a park, really. Yeah, I'm yeah, exaggerating. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a forest. It was more like a park, but it was pretty big, man. Yeah. I didn't know where I was, and I couldn't find my way out. Um, but, or getting kidnapped in Mexico. Yeah, that would be a lot of It's probably not the wisest thing to do. But, I, I would, but to double down on your point there, that exploration, I think everybody has it in them that it does really awaken something in you when you're, you're doing, especially when you're doing something unchartered. Like, I never like doing, like we do sometimes, or we'll do like an excursion, you know, when we're vacationing and there's a guide. I always prefer just being me. Yeah. Because like you said, there's something primal in exploration. Yes, yes, it's primal. I I think uh, because we had to explore to find new resources and whatnot, it brings a new heightened awareness. It's exciting. It's very exciting. Because you don't know what's ahead. And I think that's the whole point is your body's getting ready for anything, right? Because maybe there's a predator or maybe there's a prey animal that you have to eat or... So you you have to have your game on and all your senses are awakened and you, you hear everything and... You can see very good point. I never thought of it that way. So I think that's what makes exploration so fun. Yeah. Right. When you're doing stuff on like a a safe trail that's been pre-done, there's no excitement. There's no excitement because you know, okay, we're gonna see this over here. We're gonna see that over there. Okay, cool. But I could see it in a picture. 
But if you see that same thing, but you discovered it on your own, it's like a totally different it's experience. It's totally different. That's exactly that. Man, are you, I was thinking that. You expressed it better than I did. I, I was getting excited when I would find these little treasures. I'd find these, I found this one place in Tokyo. And it was, it was like, it looked like a normal house, but the guy turned it kind of like a jungle gym and it was open to the public. Mm. It was weird. It was a big house in the middle of the city, right? And it had like a slide and it had like all these like mirrors that you could like, kind of like a, like a theme park would have. Okay. Yeah, and it was all open. There's no one would charge. It was like some rich guy probably just left it there for people to hang out and it was like some really cool shit there. And it was like a treasure, you know, like I wasn't expecting to see this. And I hung out there for maybe an hour, you know, took some pictures. But... It was so much more exciting had I seen that on Wikipedia, find I found it on Google and planned it all day to be there. I yeah. would have been disappointed. Yeah. Had I been there planning, I would have been disappointed, right? Because there's nothing that special. But because I found it randomly, because I was walking around, no idea where I was going, it was such a, a pleasant surprise. I'm gonna I gotta go back to doing that, man. Like you just gave me somebody. Like, I have to go back to explore. I'm not gonna plan my trips anymore. <laughs> I just want to go back to old school. It's so much more fun. You, you got to mix things up a bit, right? Yeah. I think there's some things you should always plan, and then some things just wing it, you know? Yeah. Sometimes they don't go quite to plan. I know, like, in my last trip, we went to um, uh, French Polynesia. We went to Moria, and they had said, oh, we beforehand, me and Jamie are like, okay, we're going to go to this thing and then this thing, and then we rented a car, and then, hey, why don't we just do something random in the car? And I saw, oh, there's a waterfall. I'm like, okay, let's do the waterfall. And as we're going there, the road gets really sketchy, right? Like it's, it goes from concrete, asphalt, then like chunks. You know you're far from civilization. And rock, yeah. and we're driving on a car that's not meant to do that, right? My girlfriend's like freaking out. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, I'm like relax. We, we've gone this far. Yeah. Might as well go a little further. Yeah. There's kids telling us, don't go, don't go. Like, and she's like, the locals are telling you not to go, I definitely like, don't. I'm like, no, we're just going, <laughs> God damn it. We're going to go. So <laughs> the car's bumping all over the place. And then we get to her, and there's an old guy stops us. And then... It looks really sketchy. He's like, oh, you can't go any further. I'm like, why? Oh, this is my land. I'm like, okay. He goes, you're here to see the waterfall? I'm like, yeah. Okay. It's over there. You have to pay me whatever. And not much. And my girlfriend's like, let's get out. This is sketchy. <laughs> There's nobody here, you know? But I'm still stubborn. That sounds like, like the beginning of a horror movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it is. You know? Looking back, I'm like, dude, this is stupid. Right? I'm like, I'm going, goddamn, we're going to see yeah. this waterfall. Okay. <laughs> so we go, and my girlfriend's furious the whole time. Yeah. Because we're walking through, there's no marked trail or anything. And after about like 15 minutes, we get to the waterfall. And it's like a trickle. Yeah. It's like a little river. It's dried up. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is a total bust. So then I had to walk back. And I got an earful in the back. Oh, I told you this was crap. Yeah. Like, yeah. Ah. So that adventure. But here's the thing, though. No, what's the treasure, though? The treasure wasn't the waterfall. What was it? It was a story, man. It's it was you being yeah. terrified, you know, and but pushing through. We're going to see it. We're going to see it. And I think that's those are the things I value the most. It's not the actual view, but what you go through to see it. Right, it's the climb. This is the point we've been over this before. But it's, yeah. it is climbing the mountain, and it's not the gold medal. It is not the end result. The end result is always disappointing. I wanted ECC. I thought, my man, when I I'll be able to, I'll be on cloud nine for the rest of my life, man. You know, it was like it lasted like two days. I was high yeah. for two days, and I was like, fuck, man, I gotta win the world now. Like, it goes back to you know, you go back yeah. to the fault where you normally are. It's 
it doesn't matter what house you buy, it doesn't matter what car you drive, it doesn't matter how much money you got in your bank account, how many diplomas you got on your wall. It's to me like what I value the most out of my jujitsu journey. Or things like my trips, everything are always like the the expectation and the grind to get there. Like that's what I you know, those are my best memories and for sure. You know, we should take like your story, man, perfect example. The waterfalls is a and it, and if it's incredible. Yeah. The story to get there is still better than the waterfall itself. Oh, exactly. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people, when they set their goals to it, there's a common fallacy of people, oh, I'm going to win the title and it's going to change everything. Mm. That you have to think beyond that, right? Because, like you said, that moment is, it'll go away really quick. You win the title, you got it, that's it, it's gone. What happens afterwards is what's going to be more important, right? Yeah. As far as like how it's going to change your life, it's like how you leverage that opportunity. Yeah. A lot of people think, I just got to get that, and that's it. And, you know, I had the same thing where, you know, might ruffle some people, but, like, when people talk about going in the afterlife, right? Like, oh, everything, once I get to the afterlife, I'm going to be set. Yeah, I'm same like, my thing, yeah. And I'm like, okay, but what are you doing there? Right? Like, you, you never thought after. Afterlife. Yeah. <laughs> you just not getting there. I'm like, yeah. what happens after that? Yeah. Because that's what you're going to be doing for eternity. You know, like, so, I mean... In a more usable scale, like in our life, like you got to figure, oh, okay, I'm gonna have a family and kids, and that's it. I'm like, no, no, the, what are you gonna do with them? Yeah, you know, like how, how are you gonna, gonna raise grow? them? How are you gonna raise them? Like, yeah. there's what so lessons, many things yeah. that go on. Oh, I'm just gonna get married and everything's set. Like, no, no, like, there's a lot that goes on. Like, you're setting your goal on like a little thing, and there's way more behind it. You know what I mean, like yeah. becoming a champion is just one part of the journey. There's a whole other thing afterwards about maintaining it or yeah. you know using your platform to like you know preach or whatever it is you're gonna do. But like you, you always gotta think beyond the, the first part. But everybody sees the trophy and the medal, and they think, "Oh, that's it. That's yeah. all I need." But like, there's a lot more work that goes behind it. I agree. I agree. And it's the it's what's most what we should cherish the most. You know, we shouldn't get carried away with thinking that the reward is the the, the the true reward is the journey. It's the grind. You know, it's the hard work. The hard. I always say this, my students: the hard work is the reward. It confuses people. Because we're, we're a civilization that's so obsessed with the end result, you know, more than ever, perhaps. Um, but, you know, we can't lose track of the things that are important, you know. And where the, how, how important it is and how wise it is, I believe, to live in the moment. I think there's a lot of wisdom. It's not something I master, not by any means. I'm not, you know, I probably don't follow my own advice. But living in the moment is, that's the, that's the journey, man. That's the, the reward right there, is enjoying every second of your life, not be like, idealizing a future that will be great because that UFC belt, I've never held one, probably would have liked to have one for sure. I'm probably for sure I would have, but I don't think it would have made me happy in the sense that we're talking about. I think it would have been a momentary thing, just like IBJJF or something else. You know? Absolutely. I mean, they can name tons of people that won things and they end up destitute yeah. at the end of their days. And I think the most important thing is not how you start something, but how you finish it. Right? Mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of people who win or become legends, but then they kind of, whatever happens in life, it doesn't go well, and they start faltering. You see that Dave Chappelle stand-up comedy he had, I think the, 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 I think the Sticks and Bones. Yeah. It's, it's great. He kills it. To me, it's like one of the best stand-up comedies of all time. I love Dave Chappelle because not only is he highly intelligent, because he's a comedian, he can say things that we can't. They get a big, comedians can speak the truth. And they go, oh, I'm joking, right? But they can right. actually... There's a lot of wisdom in what comes out of their mouth because like, they're, they're highly intelligent people and they're able to express themselves in a way that most people are not allowed to, right? You would get killed online if you did it. 
Um, but, um, you know, Chappelle, he goes and he's talking about Anthony Bourdain, who committed suicide. Remember that part? Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, this guy was getting paid well, right, to travel the world and meet amazing people and eat amazing food. Yeah. Killed himself. And, you know, I put things in perspective of, like, <laughs> fuck, man. <laughs> like, isn't that true? Yeah. Like, wow. Like, you would think that guy had the perfect life, wouldn't you? Yeah. You know, he was getting paid to travel the world to meet amazing people and eat amazing, meet amazing people and eat amazing food. And I almost said, eat amazing people. <laughs> That's almost said. <laughs> Probably too. Yeah. <laughs> Probably had those moments as well. But, you know, where do you go from there? And that's the peak, man. You've, you've experienced life from all these heights, man. You've climbed all these mountains, and you've seen the valley from all these different perspectives. And it goes, where does it go from there? And if you can't appreciate the climb itself, and you've created this, this idealistic, this, this, concept, this concept of what happiness is, that something that doesn't exist, oh, if it's that mountain, it's that mountain, and you can't find it because you've seen the value from all these different perspectives. There's nowhere else to go. You have to find joy in what you're doing at the moment, and that's the only answer, right? And it's sad that someone like Anthony Bourdain, you know, took his own life. I don't know what else was going on, but um, I think that's what it comes down to, man. Like, where do you go from there? You've collected, you know, three UFC belts, two UFC belts. You've got a billion dollars in your bank account. Where do you go from there? If you're looking in the wrong places. Yeah, and I think the whole problem is people have the fallacy of thinking, once I get this, then I've made it. Or like, I'll have achieved my life's goal and purpose. Or, and they believe that's it. But you can't get happiness or fulfillment from outside, yeah. right? Like, I can shower you with money and stuff like that. If you have problems, you will still have problems with the money and the gold medals and the trophies and all that. That doesn't, be, that doesn't take it away. So... And we've talked about this before. You said you were in the favelas and you saw some of the happiest people there. Yeah. They don't have things, right? But they are content with themselves, right? And you can, I'm sure you moment. can find native tribes with a similar thing. They have literally less than nothing compared to Western society, but they're happy, right? They have their own peace of knowing their role in life and they're content with it. So that is more important than anything, but it's something that's hard for people to come. I think it's coming more into awareness of people taking mental health more seriously oh, now. Depression's on the rise for these reasons. I'm yeah. convinced. But, but the, at the very least, I think there's more acknowledgement of the problem. Yeah. I think when I was growing up, like, remember the same times, 80s, 90s, if you told somebody you were seeing a therapist or psychiatrist, they'd be you like, are fucked up. Like, Whoa, man, yeah. that guy's got real problems. Yeah. Like, so he's, he's going like, to kill me. Like, kind of like <laughs> yeah. psycho kind of. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, no. You know, like, now it's like everyone. Yeah, everybody's got problems. Like, the problem is everybody was leaving their problems untreated. You know, like, yeah. oh, that's normal. And like, I think people are like, oh, divorce is on the rise. I think partly, there, there's a lot of reasons. But I think one of them is that people back then just knew, like, you don't get divorced. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. that means you're a failure. You're, you know, so, like, you would, you would be, have people who are living married. Miserable. You know what? Uh, you just reminded me of something. There's this little tiny little country in Asia, Bhutan. I don't mm-hmm. know how to pronounce it in English. Bhutan, okay. Bhutan. Yeah, I, think I, 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 I get my pronunciation between English and Portuguese confused all the time. But, you know, they, it's not a rich country, right? I'm not sure how wealthy they are, material wealth. But they got together. It's a Buddhist country. A lot of, it might be a theocracy now that I think about it. I'm not sure. Okay. But um, they decided that they weren't going to count their wealth in economic terms anymore. That's probably why I don't know if it's rich or poor. Like you don't, yeah. you know, because it's not, they're not. They thought they don't. It's not a. It's not a number they're concerned with. They decided they were going to count their success as a country 
you know, based off of how happy people were. So they created the equivalent of a GDP for happiness. Mm. I'm not sure how they're measuring that. If it's for cortisol, stress levels, depression rates, suicide rates. But that's probably how you would measure happiness in a society is if no one's depressed, no one's killing themselves, cortisol levels are on average low, means you're not too stressed out, right? And that's how they measure their success as a country. And I thought it was like, I'm not saying I'm evolved enough to go that hardcore, go like Buddhist monk and like give away. I like my car. I like my house. Yeah. I like to eat well. You know, I I enjoy these things. But, I, man, I think they're probably on the right track. I think that right there is a number far more important than any other number. Because if you have a happy people, man, what's more important than that? And they might be ahead of the rest of the world in that regard. I They might be the happiest country in the world because of that, because they set their priorities straight. And once again, I'm not saying I would have lived there, but, you know, we're like little crack addicts, man. Like, we get addicted to all this stuff. You know, crack's not good for you. It doesn't mean the crackhead doesn't want it. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, sure. crack is horrible for you, but they still want it. I I enjoy material things. I like, I'm not, I'm not, it's not the top priority in my life, but I enjoy spending money. For sure. No, I think. I like nice things, you know, but. I don't think I'm on the right track in terms of that. I think these people, these monks in Bhutan, they're they're far uh, they're wiser than I am because they understand where priorities in life should lie. Yeah, I, I I'm conflicted with that for a couple of reasons. Because one, if you were a true Buddhist, and from my understanding, I could be wrong, and probably am, but you're essentially your goal is to desire nothing. Right? You don't want belongings, people, or anything. You're just zen completely out. If you were able to successfully do that, and maybe there are people that are do that, you're no longer human, right? Or animal. True. Right? True, very true. You also have no motivation to do anything. Yeah. I mean, I guess Buddha sat under a tree for however long he did. Too long. <laughs> maybe too long, right? <laughs> but like, the whole point is like, that's what would happen with zero ambition. Correct. So there would be zero progress. Yeah. And if everybody did that, the whole society would fall apart right away. Yeah. Uh, people would starve and die. There would be no penicillin. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think that's necessarily the right, although maybe that will bring you spiritual enlightenment. If everybody did that, there's no more human race. So there has to be some amount of, I believe, of You're ambition right. You're right. to create progress. Now, how are we measuring progress? Well, they're measuring it by happiness. Maybe they're right. To me, I would say the survival of the human race Isn't, yes. would be progress, right? And if we're able to be happier and be able to inhabit more Figure things, out cancer. Sure. We, we need ambition for that. Right. Yeah. And then people have to do it. But now, just like everything, I think you have to temper it, right? When you have super high ambition, then it creates a lot of stress because that means you put a lot of demand in yourself yeah. and you have to go after things all the time. So it's tricky, right? And it's hard to maintain high levels of ambition for a long time. I was actually listening to... Um, Joe Rogan, he had a, a astronaut. Uh, man, what's his name? I forget. It was Garrett something or other. Reisman, I think. Very interesting conversation, but he was talking about Elon Musk. Because this guy worked with NASA, and now uh, he, he worked with uh, SpaceX. With SpaceX. And he was saying how he's never met anybody like uh, Elon because he's so ambitious and so productive. And he's like an expert, like in 20 different fields. And apparently he was saying like he will be on the floor of the machine uh, factory 
and he knows all the terms and he understands everything going on. Then he goes into a boardroom, understands all the marketing, and he goes into other things. He stands the, the, the science of uh, you know the cars and all that. So like, it's like how is he so well versed in so many things and like an expert pretty much in all these different fields, and has the drive to do this for like 20, 30 years. It's impressive. Like, it's impressive, you know. But he's also a very he's a very eccentric character as well. Oh, I've heard he would, he would take he take books to parties. I've heard of that. I don't yeah. know if it's true or not. But he take like be re- everyone's at a party and like fucking reading. Yeah. You know, I, I believe that. Like that I think that's what it would take. What's impressive is his ambition to me is less impressive. It's how incredibly productive he managed to be with his time because he's accomplished a lot in a very short period of time. Yes. I can barely manage a gym. <laughs> I'm, not, I, I'm a pretty ambitious person, I think, but I'm like, I don't know how he does it, man, because I can barely manage, like, I got, like, six employees, and I can barely handle it. Yeah. This guy, yeah, I don't even know how he does it. Yeah. I mean, sure, he's got a good team of people, but you don't build a team of people like that unless you, you have a certain talent, you know. Um, but um, just going back to your point, Dave, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, be a good way for us to wrap it up. It's balance, man. Yeah. Buddha said that too. Yeah. Right. You've tightened the cord too much, the, the string too much. It doesn't. It's too. It doesn't play if if it's too loose. You know. You gotta when you tune a guitar, it's gotta be just right for it to play well. Yeah. You know. I think it's a good way to put it. We need some ambition too. Yeah. You know. If you can't, I'm not ready to go all zen and like oh just be happy and nothing else. Like I liked, I like to grind. I like to work. You know. Yeah. I think that's important that we have that. Absolutely. I did think having purpose gives you, you know, and it gives you motivation, it gives you drive, it gives you things to do, and ultimately you're contributing to everybody else. Ideally, I would think, like, when my time is done, I have made some sort of progress for the rest of the world to move a little bit more forward and walk on those footsteps that I laid out. That's the ultimate goal. Make the world slightly better. See, me and Dave have reached enlightenment here, in case you guys are wondering. (laughs) We're like ready, like clouds are going to part any moment now. <laughs> it takes us away. Straight away. All right. All right, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed. Hope you guys had fun. I got to get going. I got to sign that lease. Oh, sorry, my MMA team. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'll see you guys again next week. All right, take care. All right, ciao. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation. As always, if you have any feedback, feel free to leave a comment here, whether you're watching YouTube or Podbean or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you can also hit us up on social media at Breaking the Guard on Instagram and Facebook or Breaking Guard on Twitter. And you can visit our website, BreakingTheGuard.com, for the latest updates and information on our podcast. Thank you and have a wonderful day. A final word of thanks to one of our sponsors, which is DrysdaleBJJOnline.com. DrysdaleBJJOnline.com is Robert's online video site. You've been listening to the podcast. You probably heard me say it a few times. It's a one-stop shop for everything Drysdale. You can check out his top ten guard passes, top ten sweeps, top ten mount escapes. He's got a, a whole assortment of courses that you can buy there. They're all available online. He also just recently released a course with Felipe Andrew, who is the number one IBGF black belt in, uh, in the world. Who just had a major victory against Keenan Cornelius, defeating him by a triangle choke. So the guy is top-notch, 100%. And he, Robert's been telling me for a while, even before this, that he has a really nasty straight footlock. It's just unreal. And sure enough, they made a course, uh, Footlocks in a Gi, where Felipe goes over all the different footlocks that he has. And you can get it at DrysdaleBJJOnline.com. So go ahead, check it out. I would 
it's even if you're not a new player, you're still gonna learn quite a few cool tricks. I certainly did, so go ahead and check it out at RisedaleBJJOnline.com.